0: Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season Two. I'm your forever coffee infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all arounds of the wild world of parenting a safe space, a Lego free space, to vent, to inspire. And well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing?
1: Every day. <laughs>
0: Is that funny? So each week I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together, we grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Happy days, my beautiful Busy Mumsies. Ash here. Another week, another chat. I am ready for it. Well, today I am welcoming Emma Campbell onto this week's Busy Mumsy podcast. Emma herself is a podcast host of Open with Emma Campbell. She is an author, columnist, speaker, and long term cancer thriver. Yes, take that in. Thriver. Her journey is like none other that I have read, and she does it with such grace. I want to know how she is doing it and being the mama bear that she is to her four gorgeous kids. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Emma Campbell, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, for my busy listeners, I was just confessing to Emma that I was just going down the rabbit hole of fangirl over Emma and her inspiring, incredible journey that we will be getting into. But oh my goodness, it's like, I I just then reiterate myself by saying I'm always so excited to meet a new person on the show.
1: Yes, likewise. I think that's so lovely. And again, it's connection, isn't it? and it's it's it is. I mean and, and and you
0: have your own podcast and it's it's one of those things of just like I look forward to recording weekly I mean the scheduling is bananas for, for
1: for some people but you know once you get over that hurdle it's like the best thing ever it's given my my podcast open um began at the start of this year and currently halfway through season four and honestly it brings me so much joy I feel like I found my I'm just in heaven doing it and obviously you know you want a podcast to grow and you want the audience to grow and and all of that but essentially I just think these kinds of conversations are can be so transformative so supportive so enlightening for us all whether you're the one you know and and I think often I you know I've got that inner critic like we all have you know it can be quite bruising myself and i'll Mm -hmm. hear my hear myself on a playback Going, oh god stop waffling or oh god you know you've told that story again but actually it's the conversation and it's just two or three people in a space together virtually or in real life and i think it's priceless and i think that's the way we are at this space you know we're absorbing i just absorb so much from listening to other people and hearing their stories Mm -hmm.
0: I would love, 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 love to do one in person. I've never done that.
1: Have you? I've done, we, so had this sort of big ambition for series two. um, So I recorded a few face to face, but logistically it was tricky. I mean, it felt great to sit with, you know, but it just, at this point, you know, I hope one day the podcast is at the point where I can really, I can make that happen regularly so that it's consistent but i think it was a little bit haphazard but it's a lovely lovely feeling of course to have to, have to reach out and touch that person and- I, I, mean, I, I used to teach group fitness in london and,
0: and in new york city and just that i i still do it virtually for private clients but it's that like that connectivity that you get and that added energy, it really is on another level when you are in the physical space with someone. But listen, I'm in Uganda. I will take this right now, Emma. I will take this.
1: Well, I'll just, you know, next time I could do with a trip, you know, I'll, I'll, you head, know. Out. I'll head out and
0: enjoy I'll you. i just you over a business class ticket and you'll be on your very way to Uganda, Emma, because it's a long flight. You, you need to stretch your legs on that flight. It's
1: a me time. It's a me time, which is, you know, four kids, all of that.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I'm actually coming up. I'm going to be taking my first solo trip since since having Adia, which is quite like scary for me. I'm I'm coming back to London for six days. And one of my friends was like, oh, you mean you're going on vacation
1: for six days? I was like, I don't know. I kind of feel bad already And I have not even left. The mum guilt, though, I don't know, you know, that's something that I talk about a lot that I really, really battle with. And it's so frustrating, you know, and for everyone else, I can say to you, God, God, enjoy it. You know, it'll go in a flash. It's just so important. You're filling your cup up. But as mums, we have that. We have that very, very persistent dialogue, don't we? That's telling up with the shoulds and, the. you know, I, I got the opportunity last week. Um, it was half term here in, in London. So the kids were off for a week and it kind of quite last minute, I got the opportunity to go away for three nights. I was invited onto a, a retreat and, you know, I'm lucky. I'm My eldest son is 20, you know, his girlfriend's 25. So it took a little bit of, look, how would you feel about, so basically they, they were in charge or not, but you know, they were two adults in the house with my three 13 year old triplet teenagers. And, um, and of course I felt, I knew that my body and my soul needed this breakaway, really, really did. I could, I, I'm quite often teetering on the cusp of some kind of mini or major burnout. I think, um, but of course, I gave myself such a hard time. I gave myself such a hard time, and it's like I was then I was back, and they barely even glanced at me as I walked through the door, you know. But I don't know. It's we give ourselves a hard time.
0: No, as soon as I booked the flight, my husband came home. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I booked my flight. Well, actually, I'm going to be here. No, 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 no. It's not even about that. It's just all the other things. And yet I do know, I also, like you came home and the kids were, the kids were joyous and happy and healthy and everything went smooth sailing. I know that will happen here, but there's still that little something That that little birdie that's on my shoulder.
1: And I think I think in particular that's a kind of without being too making too much of a generalization, I think that's a female tendency, you know, and we do we kind of we feel that weight of responsibility, even, you know, if if we're lucky enough to have a a supportive co-parent partner or extended family, you know, but it's still essentially we that umbilical cord I often talk about, you know, that umbilical cord remains. However
0: old yeah. your children are you know Well, I want to dive into your journey, your story um, of you know advocacy now and a voice but to the person that you firstly were as Emma who fell pregnant um, with triplets so you you had your first child and then years later through IVF and through the ups downs and all around you fell pregnant with triplets. Can you go back to firstly, the excitement of falling pregnant again, because that, that in itself is not the easiest of journeys. And I, for one, have struggled with fertility and I I had a very easy road with my first child. And then when I lost baby two, I, I mean, it's now been something of like, are we going, like, can we, can we not, we try, it doesn't work. Like, we're just kind of like a big question mark now.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I remember the moment that the IVF clinic called with the results, you know, and excitement probably isn't the word. Um, I think for anyone, I, you know, I'd been sort of going through a secondary infertility journey for about four years. So, Jake had come along, um, very, you know. <laughs> well, I say unexpectedly, we, we thought, you know, we were being careful, but clearly not. And we were in love and it was kind of, you know, within six, seven months of the of the relationship with the, the children's father, I was pregnant with Jake. And actually with Jake, I the sort of first big life, um, very unexpected drama was that when he was born, four weeks early, you know, emergency C-section, having had a pretty, you know, straightforward pregnancy, um, I developed something called necrotizing fasciitis, which is a flesh eating bug. So when Jake was born within 48 hours, I was kind of hovering rather dramatically between life and death, you know, with a tracheotomy and, and my family being told I might not make it. So that was a kind of, and it's a, so funny when I talk about that now, because that literally feels like that at the time, that was such an enormous trauma. It took me so long to get over it. But I guess because of everything that's come, about since it's almost like oh yeah, and the flesh eating bug happened. Yeah.
0: but <laughs> okay. for, for someone who does not know, I, I do not know anything and everything. Uh, you know what? What exactly is this? You said a tracheotomy. Is this something that is found?
1: So ne- necrotizing fasciitis is pretty much. If you Google it, it is pretty much like it is literally what it is—a flesh eating bug. So people on many, many occasions either don't make it or they lose limbs, you know, um, because it just kind of gobbles you up. It's something that you, if you want to look it up, you don't want to look it up when you've, you you want to brace yourself. It needs to come with a bit of a trigger warning in terms of the images. So I ended up, I was very, very lucky not to lose my legs and, you know, to, to be alive. Um, and I was in intensive care. I had, many, many, many surgeries. And essentially for me, it was all in my stomach area as a result of the C-section, whatever, however it came to be. We'll never quite know, but I went into hospital kind of healthy and anyway, who knows, who knows? But they basically kind of removed all of the flesh on my stomach. Um, So I was in hospital for a month. Um, You know, those early two weeks didn't see Jake really for the first couple of weeks. I was not really with it. Um, so that was a very, very traumatic beginning and incredibly frightening. I It took a long time to recover. I had reconstructive surgery on my stomach and then began this, you know, incredible kind of road to recovery emotionally. And absolutely, Jake and I have always had the most incredible bond, you know. Um, it, he was that firstborn miracle kind of, it was just like, a, it was like a horror movie, but with a, with a happy ending, I guess. So then, you know, it, I became very consumed with this. I always wanting an, a second baby, just one more baby. But I also had this, I guess, this idea that, well, this time it will be as it should be. I'll have a baby, and and I'll be able to nurse it, and I'll it, I'll have that normal experience that you think everyone right. everyone else is having. So you know, didn't started trying for a baby when he was two and a half, and over the next couple of years had three miscarriages and long, long periods of no pregnancy at all. And it consumed me and it dominated me. And I was sort of, I think anyone who's gone through long periods of infertility, it, it's like a form of madness, really. It just consumes every waking moment, that longing, that that primal desire for a, for a, a baby. And whatever you're, and it's a very difficult one because we don't talk about it because we've got our child. And, oh, but you've got Jake, you're so lucky. And oh, that's... So you feel that, the there is that just that one
0: linear dialogue that seems to be very easy for anyone not in your shoes to project to you. And Feeling given that yeah. it's not it's not meant from a malicious place, but to constantly hear, oh, you have a healthy child.
1: Yeah. And also, you know, just enjoy Jake. And it's like and you feel the guilt because you're not being fully present with the most important human being in the world because you so much you're projecting all your dreams onto them. For me it was like I want Jake to have oh, something. He he would have been fine either way. But anyway, to, to sort of skip through that slightly, eventually one round of IVF very much led by me, you know, my partner um was reluctant, but you know, we 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 went that far. It was the one and only round that we knew we'd be able to have and um you know I was told Pretty much early on, my blood results were so high that it was, we kind of knew it was twins. From six weeks, we were told it's twins. Went for a six week scan, eight week scan, 10 week scan, 12 week scan, all twin one, twin two. All that twin one looks like a girl, twin two looks like a boy. Fast forward to the 20 week scan, which is the big kind of, you know, final, the big major one, isn't it? And took Jake along with us, and we were going to take Jake to see his, um, you know, the twins on the screen. And the room goes very quiet. And the radio. Radiographer, I always forget obstetrician radiographer. Um, sort of went very very quiet and said, "Was this IVF?" And I said, well, "Yeah." Like, you know it was IVF. Silence, and I'm looking over at their dad, uh, you know, Jake's dad, and looking over at Jake, who's six with his little Harry Potter glasses, you know, having this big day out. And the obstetrician said, "I think there's another one in there." And it was one of those moments where this sort of universe just tilted on its axis and like nothing was ever the same again and and I just remember with the blood run from my face and Jake looking at me and his dad and going what is it what is it and I said it's okay darling you know there's another baby and he just did this like yes you know jumped up and down but we were just in a state of shock and it was just it, you know there's so many moments that I wish I could go back and kind of tie up with a lovely bow because actually you know, the obstetrician said as, as, as he was wiping the jelly off my belly, and we were kind of he was very grave. And he actually said, Well, you know, if we'd known, we would have offered you a reduction. This puts you at a very high risk. And it was there was no kind of banners and bunting. Um, so it felt like it was this very strange, surreal feeling from then on because we weren't set up as a, as a couple, but we were living in a tiny flat, we weren't set up for three more babies, you know. Um, our relationship was already kind of. Little bit up and down, and um, so unfortunately, as, as much we you split between one minute thinking this is a miracle, this is wonderful, and of course, all I wanted was the babies to stay inside me for as long as they could, and then emerge safe and well, which they did. You know, thirty-two weeks, had them by C, planned C-section, healthy, consistent weight, two boys, two identical boys, one girl, absolutely perfect. Um, they were in hospital for a month. Um, and then we, you know, we brought them home. Meanwhile, kind of things at home were really, really tough, really, really at a breaking point. And um, the stress was enormous. And, you know, our, our relationship was really floundering. And, um, I mean, should I just carry on telling you the kind of key? Should no, I, you, you know why? I,
0: mean, I, I actually, yeah. and, and I'm sure that you do too, with, with your platform, you ha- there are people that are like, I, I'm in... Not a relationship and having a child. I'm in a, a a relationship that's going very south, and you know, Instagram, social media, just in overall, makes everything look shiny and perfect and positive, and that is not called life, right? And your journey is the actual real, like meat and potatoes of what can help other people that are living normal lives, right? Yeah. Right, Em. Um? we're living normal lives and yeah. this is unfortunately it is not a shiny filter with whatever you know whatever blue tone you want to put on top of it
1: exactly so to kind of just to give it all some context um and i guess to, which will then sort of give us reasons to why i suppose you know the triplets are nearly 14 where, I, where i'm at now is that the relationship broke down very very in a very very volatile way um you know, to the point where sadly, you know, he's not in in their lives, hasn't been for a long time. Um, and when the baby, I'd, I'd always had a lump in my breast, you know, I'd always had a lump in my right breast. And when Jake was about two years old, I'd had it checked, I'd had a mammogram, and they were like, it's fine, it's a cyst, the lump never changed, that was that. And I was in my early thirties with Jake, and you know, I wasn't, <laughs> there were no big conversations about breast cancer in, in my world or anything. I'd done the right thing and I'd had it checked and um you know then you think of um ivf all of the the whole, all everything that you go through with ivf the carrying a triple uh, multiple pregnancy i wasn't able to breastfeed but i expressed you know for about 6 weeks so i'd lost a huge amount of weight because rather than what everyone might think you become uh, the babies just they did fine <laughs> it just kind of like took everything i could barely breathe let alone eat you know from like 4 months on and um so I was much thinner than I normally am. My breast felt different, but this lump that I'd always had, I couldn't really feel it in the same way anymore. But it turns out that that lump had become a five-centimeter mass, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer when when Ella Louie and Theo were um, five, six months old. So I had a yeah five-centimeter tumor, lymph node involvement, and you know, my their father had. Finally moved out, and I was living in a top floor flat with a two bedroom flat with three babies around me. Jake in the little room, and um, at the top of lots of stairs, and it was horrendous. It was a nightmare. You know, it was a li- It was like I, I can't even. I know that I still carry so much trauma around what's gone on that I don't even. I almost. It's it's. I can talk about it in a very detached way. But those memories of, of the the extreme extremity, the extremeness of that situation at that time, and the and the immense stress and the survival mode that just went on and on and on, mean means that when I think back to that time, I don't know quite, I don't know whether to sort of, I part sometimes I shudder, I feel emotional, or I just kind of. I don't know who that person was, but then everyone will say, I don't know how you did it. But I absolutely have always had the same answer. I did it because I had no choice. You would do it too. I was dealt a set of circumstances that were so extreme, you know, triplets is extreme, Um, you know, all of it, all of it, triplets, single parenthood, and, you know, breast cancer, invasive breast cancer combined. It was a bonkers, crazy situation and you know that's kind of i don't so that so that was really the landscape i guess in which my kind of story began and led to me you know coming through the treatment um you know the treatment went very well chemotherapy mastectomy radiotherapy hormone treatment reconstruction all the while kind of neighbors family friends on rotation kind of holding a baby you know feeding a baby. But essentially, it was me on my own at night, you know, as much help and love and support as I got, it essentially, it was me on my own feeding babies throughout the night. And, you know, and looking after their son and dealing with a very, very, very distressing kind of breakup. Um, so it, I can think of that woman and think, oh, <laughs> excuse me, swearing. Um, but I also know, again, I don't. I'm not super, I'm not a superwoman, I, we just have this human, but we have, we all have it, we all have it, and it's a survival, you just, we look at the news, don't we, at the moment, and we think, but how are these, how, how, how are these families that, have, you know, these fathers, or, or mothers, or, who've lost everyone, how are they standing up, but there's something in the human, spirit. You know, we just keep going, you know, we keep going, and I'm not comparing my, my story to what's going on, you know, in the world at the moment, but, we're always sort of our jaws are on the floor, aren't they? And when we hear yeah. stories, but essentially there's something that links us all, which is a some survival. You know, what, what, what was it through that though that, that
0: did help you to survive? What was it? Just the calming moments at nighttime for you? That when you
1: were. They weren't calm moments. I mean, there were no calm moments there were no calm moments whatsoever. I mean, there was no waiting.
0: there was no sort of like one it, person that you leaned on, or or is it truly your 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 four children that it that you didn't know at the time that literally are the ones that have like I had
1: amazing girlfriends and you know, whether it was mums from my son's school who drew up rotors, who dropped food off, who did shopping for me, who drove me to chemo who would take it in turns between themselves to kind of work out who could take care of the babies while I was at the hospital and that was incredible and that was priceless and I will always feel indebted in a way to those those that very long list of incredible people in my life but essentially it was me and my four which is ironically what I called my blog that I started started writing years ago but it was um it was a deeply that all that kept me going my fear of not being here, my fear of death, you know, sort of, forget it you just, it, I just, I just, I, I was so consumed with the fear of not being here, but especially because of the circumstances in my, you know, the, 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 the ramped up level of everything that was gone and going on personally. Um, I, so sadly, I wasn't, I found it very difficult to access the moments of joy when things were calmer because I just I couldn't switch off the the you know the thoughts in my head that but I'm, I'm gonna die I'm gonna this is my wor- this is my worst this is the worst you know I, I want and then there was this kind of strange which I still live with this strange kind of guilt that I wanted the I wanted a baby so much I pushed and I pushed and I pushed to have a baby and I got three and then I got ill and their dad's not and it's like I felt I've carried I stopped to be very very honest with you that's that's a weight I still carry but um I suppose those kind of critical voices going, well, you know, you wanted that. It's almost like I didn't feel like I was being punished, but I felt like I'd gone for what my body and my soul were yearning for. The miracle of of, of three beautiful, healthy babies. But actually then the, the kind of fallout that followed meant that I needed everyone and anyone to scoop me up. So I carried a lot of I couldn't be the mother I wanted to be, essentially. I couldn't be the mother that they, so I was there in body as much as I could be in mind. You know, they got the cuddles, they got the love, but I, it's very hard when you're living in a permanent state of fear and anxiety to be present and to, to, you know.
0: How do you handle that now? How do you handle anger? How do you How do you care for yourself in a way that puts you in a positive mindset now?
1: Um, well, the thing is, you know, that was... Very- it hasn't gone, I mean, for, for you, you're, you
0: are, you will be going through treatment. Yeah, so... What but, I, yeah, and so, that's what... So, that so definitely- it is not something that just that wipes away. So this is something that is now for the rest of your life. And I'm so sad, but it, it, like, I look at you and I talk to you and I'm like, you're like the strongest fucking human being I think I've ever met. So... Pardon my F bomb, but I will just say it. And like, I'm like, I'm chilled by it in the sense of like, you are so unbelievably strong. Yet, how on God's green earth are you handling anger? Because there has to be anger. There has to be so much of it inside of like, how do you shift it around?
1: I don't anger to because of the car, the, the, the misfortune of the diagnosis or. No, I don't have that. I don't have that. I I, I struggle with anger anyway. You know, I I struggle. I struggle to get, you know, when things are going on in your life and people say, you need to get angry and you think I can't, if only I could feel anger because we know that anger is, it can be more empowering than a feeling of, It's my go-to.
0: It's my go-to.
1: I'm not, I mean, as a mum, God, I, you know, when I'm tired, when I'm, I'm very quick to kind of being snappy and, you know, but I don't, I, anger is something I struggle to really connect with in a healthy way I I, I, mm. I tend to be more weepy more fearful I I will I will I will portray those more if you were to not we're not using words like weakness or or strength but those kind of more yeah I don't get that fight I kind of I I I would crumble a little bit more so I don't and I certainly don't i you know so just to kind of bring it up to date in terms of the cancer. So I, I I went through all of that and I was in remission, I was clear and it was a primary diagnosis. So, you know, I had every reason to hope and believe that I'd been unlucky and that was it. And, you know, four years went by and the checkups became less frequent, still struggled emotionally because no one ever really, you know, it's only now that we're really all talking about the emotional aspects of a diagnosis. It goes way beyond the scars and and the you know the losing your hair and things like that the emotional aspect is 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 the long-term torture um but you know I was getting there and I was heading towards sort of four or five years clear and um my cancer came back and so that was obviously devastating and for me that was the worst nightmare realized because for me a secondary diagnosis a stage four diagnosis equal death there was no gray area for me my worst nightmare had happened. I'd been told my cancer was back. I was going to die imminently. That's how I, and that was eight years ago. So that was nearly, yeah, that was eight years ago. So it was the end of 2014. Went back on chemo. And at that point, I knew that I'd be on treatment for life. Um, The chemo worked. I went back into remission, carried on having three weekly treatment. And then four years after that in 2019, had um, another recurrence in my other breast. Um, And but, you know, that was in 2019 and I'm now heading towards the four year anniversary of that time. So I can feel myself getting a little bit like, oh, God, you know, um, and it's been a tough 18 months for other reasons. I've recently come through a divorce. I'm, you know, kind of huge emotional upset and turmoil that I'm I'm trying to come through. So in my mind, the old as much as I know, you know, I have an emotional toolbox. I've come a long way in how I cope with things, but I still have the voice going Okay, well, you've come through that. I'm almost, I'm almost always waiting for the next thing. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, but I'm kind of, okay, I've survived that, now what? You know, oh, that I'm feeling a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to get ill again, you know? So for me, an ongoing challenge is, and I'm, gosh, honestly, the reason I'm so passionate about, I don't want to, you know, for me, it's not about being being identified as a breast cancer advocate or anything it's about a human story and what I've learned and I'm very very I can't say I'm proud to be a long-term survivor because I'm lucky to be a long-term survivor but when I was diagnosed I had no idea where to look for stories of long-term survival I was so terrified of the stories that inevitably had a tragic ending because they're the only ones you heard about the headlines and the newspaper you don't hear the happy stories there was no instagram that i was part of there was no community so you don't go on no one wants to go on google so for me it was all about avoid 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 hide away if a commercial came on the tv about a cancer charity i'd run out literally run out of the room um and now all these years on i just think oh that that me of then you know and anyone who's at the beginning of their journey is no one can take away the fear the pain the, the devastation you know everyone's prognosis is different everyone's outcomes are different but bloody hell if we can at least look to those who are further down the path and think okay you know because when I was diagnosed all i and Matt dreamt of was getting my babies to school age or getting them to a point where you know googling what when if I die what age will my children remember you know you think okay they're eight nine ten they might remember me now so I'm still my triplets of 14 in a few weeks and I don't mourn each birthday I celebrate each birthday for them because I think this is another year that I've and I, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon I'm like you know I'm sure as far and you know as far as I know I have no plans to go in, so you know I'm not living on that kind of you know I know enough about cancer now to know that if and when my disease moves around again you know I'm in a very fortunate position there'll be options you know but the greatest greatest gift for me is that as every year goes by there's more and more of a chance that I'm going to see my children into adulthood and and that was the thing that was just so desperately frightening all those years ago for so long and it affected everything it affected how I lived my life it affected relationships it affected ambition it affected I was sort of frozen to the spot really I was kind of living as though I was dying and it was only when I stepped into the online space having hit a real rock bottom and sort of found myself on Instagram and got a little bit involved in sharing my story and then eventually, you know, wrote the book and then made other connections. And it really, truly, and this is going back full circle to what, you know, how we started our chat. It's about realising you're not alone. As We're all alone, essentially, but as much as we can realise, but hang on, OK, but look, you're there. And we've got each other. And, and that's what's been the most transformative thing for me. And that's what makes me feel despite, you know, a bit of a bruised heart still, despite daily life being very challenging with three teenagers, you know, ADHD diagnoses, you know, being a solo parent, managing all of that, low moods, whatever, hospital visits, whatever, I feel genuinely I have more access or I know how to access joy and gratitude and appreciation. As a secondary breast cancer patient, which was my worst nightmare than I ever did as someone who was technically cured all those years ago. And that's and what I feel like passionate about. That's what gets me kind of like chilly <laughs> and goosebumpy. And the
0: conversation with your kids about your journey and educating them and them understanding and them, obvi- I mean, obviously being your biggest fan and your greatest support. Mm-hmm. How, I don't know about that. <laughs> how, you know, uh, how do you manage that? How how do you talk to a child, a child, sorry, i, I apologies they're 13, but this has been going on for quite some time. How do you have that conversation? Because <laughs> That sure as hell can't be an easy one.
1: No. So in a way, I've, I've got several examples of that. So if you think about the first time around, Jake was nearly seven. The babies were months old, so they didn't come into it. You know, they were, they were they were babies just flailing around on the on the mat and being fed and all of that. Jake was nearly seven. So I knew I, I knew I was going to lose my hair. So it was that classic thing of how do I tell my child he's got, uh, you know, that I've got cancer. There's a book. It was called Mummy's Lump or Mummy's Got a Lump. I ordered the book. And I sat him down. He was in his Spider-Man costume, I remember that day. And I said, you know, Mummy's got a nasty lump. Um, I think I said because there'd been so much kind of... The, I said, you've probably noticed there'd been a lot of people at the flat, you know, you might whisper, you know, he'd been aware, probably whispered conversations, seeing me crying. So mummy's got a nasty lump in her boob, but the doctors are going to give me some really strong medicine, which is going to make the lump go away. But it's going to make me look a little bit silly for a while. So I'm going to lose my hair. That's kind of how I put it. So I, I didn't feel the need to use the word cancer at that point. And he was like, "Okay, literally. Okay, mum, what's for dinner? You know. Okay, mum, can I have a biscuit? And you know, I don't. I don't think Jake's twenty. Like I said, I don't know. We've had many conversations over the years, but not. He's only just at the age where he's kind of more likely to open up. So he's never really shared how that his memories of that or how it felt. And then second time around, you know, he was twelve. The babies were. Uh, Ella Louis and Theo were five but I I haven't lost all of my hair since so you know eight years ago I lost a lot of my hair but I got a, I wasn't bald and again they just it was like "Mummy's not well Mummy's having treatment and for Ella Louis and Theo it's a funny one I think that's all they've ever known is oh Mum's having treatment yeah oh Mum," and they'll so the can they don't have any weight around the cancer word it's interesting and sometimes it's Jake's much more sensitive to it and much when he's older and he's much more protective, to be honest, in a way, sometimes this is challenging because they're, they're not the most, you know, they're not the kids that will kind of, when I come home from the hospital on a, on a Wednesday, every third Wednesday, they won't say, Oh, mummy, you know, you sit down, mum, <laughs> let me make you a cup of tea. They're just living their life because in a way it's all they've ever known. And because very fortunately I, you know, I, I'm well and as well as I can be, and I'm living a, a, not as normal as life as I can. They don't see me as someone I'm well. And so that's a wonderful thing. Um, and actually, you know, in a way, it's interesting when a very close friend of mine died last year, and um, she was on the news quite a lot. And they came in, and uh, I remember, the, you know, and I said, Look, I'm just watching this you know, my friend Deborah and, and Ella, and it was clear that she was, you know, close to the end. And I think one of them, might have been Ella said, Oh, is she dying? I didn't think you died from cancer. And in a way that sounds very sort of naive, but I think I feel like, well, okay, whatever comes ahead for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think, I know it will be somewhere, but I don't think it's something that's I, I don't know. I'm only, I'm going to know later. Um, and sometimes I pull out the kind of God, you know. I've just been to the hospital, you know, and I'll pull out the card. Can give me a bloody break, you know, like I'm knackered. Or, but at the same time, I just want them to see. I want them to see me as they've seen me very vulnerable. They've seen me very emotionally dysregulated, especially over the last couple of years. You know, it's been enough of an up and down life for us all in many different ways. For them to know that life is not straightforward and that, that you know, they've, none of us have had it as a family, have had a, they've, done, they've, they've, whether they know it or not, they're having to live with a set of circumstances that are less than ideal. But I hope, I hope good comes from it for them and that they will emerge. Well, then what
0: are you hoping to see in the pipeline for you? for your journey, for your advocacy, for, you know, what are you hoping to be putting out there to help others and yourself?
1: I think my passion, and it's interesting, it's like I, in my Instagram bio, I don't have a reference to my cancer. Um, partly because for my own way of handling it in that I, it sounds such a cliche, I don't want to be defined by it, but I think you know, fortunate enough to be in a stable place as far as I know. So as much as I can, I try to minimize the impact it has. Um, Also, I think there are so many of us living in the long term that there is so much more to us. There's so much more to me than that. And I feel like, you know, I'm in my early 50s now and I'm only just this period of, I feel like in some ways I'm blossoming sounds like a, you know i don't mean but i i actually feel like i'm coming into my own in some ways that i didn't at all in my 20s 30s 40s so i feel very very ambitious for my for my own expansion for my own growth for my own courage and bravery saying yes to things you know big ambitions for the podcast absolutely these converse i just want to highlight conversations that that make us feel you know less alone and so whether it's talking about mental health emotional well-being you know writing is always something that I'm always trying to work on book two the expressive writing workshops I run are wonderful you know lovely groups of people together journaling and but really it's kind of I suppose sharing my story but also sharing it showing that there's more there is a life beyond and there's a life alongside a diagnosis because you know i'm at the hospital this week i'll be there at nine o'clock i'll be sitting in the chemo ward i'll have my treatment i'll have the same anxiety i have every time as i'm waiting to be called in what if this is the day what if there's something's showing up in my blood it never ever ever goes away and then on wednesday if i'm fortunate enough to come out of there no changes i'll feel that relief and i'll almost feel like oh i i still you know i live I think we all live within those three those appointments, whether it's a three monthly scan through weekly chemo. There's, you can't get away from the fact that you're kind of living in these little windows of time. But I'm determined to. A, I'm determined to just really create a life based on gratitude, you know, can, healthy, a healthy example to my kids of. An open heart but also you know i know my areas of weakness i know i need to there's a lot i'm you know i'm, I'm at a phase i guess where I'm, I'm doing a lot of kind of a lot of the work you know just to make sure that i because as much as it might seem like there's a resilience obviously there is a resilience there but there's parts of me that are very very fragile as well Like all of us you know well, yeah
0: all are a work in progress but it is these candid chats that that do help each other in the chat but mm-hmm. also for anyone listening that perhaps is you know going through yeah. a time they're not quite sure how to navigate.
1: I would just say you know wherever you're at today it's such a cliche but you know this today this moment will pass and we have to break it down whether it's one breath You know one moment one hour at a time but also a huge part for me because i was so continually consumed by catastrophic thinking and worst possible scenarios and the beginning of i'd always been aware of kind of practicing gratitude and kind of living with that kind of mindset but realizing that actually thoughts of anxiety and thoughts of gratitude can't occupy the same space So even, and I often use the example of even, you know, sitting in the waiting room at the hospital, even kind of quite mindlessly, I might just kind of in my head or just mumbling under my breath, be saying, thank you, you know, just thank you, thank you, thank you. And even that, if I can fear the fear ramping up, you can't have thoughts of thank you and thoughts of death or the worst possible outcome at the same time. So even in just a kind of, I don't know why I'm saying thank you, but I'm just going to say thank you. You know, almost just like in a, as, you know, you don't have to it doesn't have to be this moment where you're sitting cross legged. You know, it can just be right. Thank you for the petrol that's driving the car to you know, or the the cup of tea that's going cold in this polystyrene cup in the waiting room. But just anything to to kind of um to turn the volume down on that on that fear dial. You know, but it's. Yeah it's like you say, it's, there's no arrival point. Is there. We just, we just, you know,
0: but I do believe we, that we, we continue to be the work in progress that we are yeah. and only know to move forward in gratitude, being thankful, trying to be as positive as we can be. Um, but you know what, if we have a bad day, we have a bad day.
1: Yeah.
0: It just is what it is, it is. in this wild world. Of fancy squares, of very, very fancy squares. I
1: know, but you know what? It's, yeah, I think it's great to have the fancy squares, but it's got to be balanced out with the, with the reality. And I think that's, that's you know, that's what fills my feed up is is the reality. You know, nothing wrong with a little bit of gloss here and there. <laughs> but, um, well, well,
0: Emma, if, if no one has told you yet today, I think you're doing an incredible job. Thank you. and and i'm i'm a continent away from you and just know that i'm sending you all the virtual hugs high fives and just continue on being the brave human glorious human that you are cuz um there the, the, you are you you really are just setting benchmarks and showing the world that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to 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 have those bad days and not be perfect and not have perfect. Oh, you didn't have a perfect relationship. You're moving on. You have your health. You have your gorgeous smile. Your beautiful family, and that is enough. That is enough. Yeah. yeah. Emma, thank you so so much for your time, your words of wisdom, your journey. I honestly, I just wish I could hug you
1: right now. <laughs> hugging you from afar from London to Uganda and hopefully we'll get to meet one day
0: thanks so much for listening to this week's show, did you like it Adia? yes! oh the enthusiasm, I love it Please share your love by giving us a five star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye bye,
1: Adia? Bye bye, Adia. <laughs>